Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kerry Kermode. At the weekend, I popped along to the 64th annual Chrysanthemum Show at Castletown. I catch up with Chris Hall, who's uh, putting planning in for a new venture at Sandygate, over the north of the Isle of Man. And also I catch up with Jen Adams from the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. Well, firstly, Kerry, plenty to get through. Uh, We'll be talking flowers because still some out and about at this time of year. Uh, But firstly, uh, a project that's happening up the north of the Isle of Man, hopefully uh, in the future. Planning has gone in for it. Chris Hall is the man behind it uh, to sort of set up a bit of a Viking village in the end. I caught up with them to find out the full details. Plans are are in planning at the moment for, for a new venture that you're involved in. Yes, indeed. Um, it's taken a while to draw them all up. Um, everything's been hand-drawn, um, which caused some issues with the planning, but uh, they've accepted them all now, so it's now the waiting game, um, looking at early January, hopefully, for a decision, and then we can move on, on to the next phase, which is uh, digging some fussings and you know getting the, getting the thing underway. Now, what is what is the actual plan for it for for people who aren't sure? Um, so it's been on my mind for quite a few years now, probably uh, since about two thousand and twelve. That there's not really anything on the Isle of Man that is truly interactive. Um, you have you know the likes of the Venture Centre and things like that for for general um, for general things, but something that's actually themed, something that's actually themed in our history, there's not really anything there. Um, I'm a big believer in teaching people to think outside of the box and not become a, a slave to GDP and the office and so on. And there is another path forward for people to be more creative and do their own thing. And um, and I wanted to inspire people to, to get involved in that. So um, really, this is going to be more of an educational um, thing than anything. Um, and very important, it's going to be non-profit. I'm not looking for... I'm not looking to make myself rich out of this or anything like that. Um, all I want to achieve is to be able to quit my full-time office job and be a Viking full-time. Um, so, um, yeah, everything that, that gets generated will go back into the project. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, it's My mind's going a million miles an hour all the time every day from waking up and going to sleep uh, with ideas. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be a sort of a... A Viking workshop hub, uh, the front part of it at least, where everything gets to be made. All the kids can come in and learn how the, the blacksmith works and how they made shields and get involved with all of these sort of crafts and then take everything that they've made out to the field at the back, to the activity field, and put it into action, um, including archaeology um, and doing some Norse religion um, things with the with the Viking temple and teaching the kids how the Vikings were so fearless and how they didn't fear death because they were all going to Valhalla and uh, it was the highest honour. And So it's going to be educational from very very start to very finish. That's one thing, that uh, the education on the Isle of Man, the schools, the primary schools, and a lot of history at the museums, uh, people can read about it and what the Vikings did when they came to the Isle of Man. But this is a chance for, for people to get involved in the actual way they were then. Yes, definitely. I mean, this is going to be, you can see it, you can smell it, you can feel it, you can hear it sort of education. 
um, rather than static displays or even a, a single person dressed up as a Viking coming out and telling you a story. This will be, you'll be able to make things with your own hands um, and then actually put them into practice. Uh, the archaeology side of it is, is quite an important thing. We're looking at like making a Viking boat burial in the back field that we you know, lay out with a as traditional so there'd be a, a skeleton in there in Viking um ground. There's plenty of water in Jerby half the time. Well, she'd be able to get is, the yeah. boat out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and we're gonna gonna cast uh, sorry, hammer our own Manx Viking coins out of recycled metal and we'll litter the, the Viking boat burial with those. Then we'll fill it all in and then the kids can come along and excavate it with an archaeologist and she can teach them how to do it all so it keeps all the cotton, you know, and teach them all that side of it because, you, you know, our future archaeologists might be coming and visiting as kids and get, you know, really tied up in it and that's what they want to do for the rest of life and that's brilliant and that's what I'm, I'm aiming for is getting people coming out of this growing up wanting to be a carpenter or a stonemason or a blacksmith, you know, um, things that, you know, not going into banking or insurance or e-gaming, etc. Because we still need these people at the end of the day. Um, you know, you can have UPVC windows fitted or you can have a master craftsman make you some bespoke windows and you know that's the difference and teaching them the hand skills um some of them might even not not even know they've got them you know they might come and uh, make make a bow with the bow maker make an arrow with the arrow maker and when they go out to practice might hit a bullseye five times in a row and be our next island games arch archery champion yeah that's a lot of scope so, in it then isn't yeah. it and this this is just the first phase obviously of a big vision that you've got for the future Yes, definitely. Um, my my dream is to build um, authentic Viking boats on the Isle of Man from Manx Timber. Um, and not just Viking boats, but junior Viking boats, children's Viking boats. So we have our Viking boat races every year at Peel and all the adults go there and they all get drunk and they have a great day and all the kids are sat at the sidelines. You know, what about us? Well, there's no reason why we can't have a junior Viking boat races um, in Peel Marina. We can the, the boats will be small enough to go on trailers, so then we can have one at Peel. We can have one at Ramsey Morrig Park. You know, they can move around. Um, I'm, yeah. So it's a it's a big thing to to move forward to that. That's my my goal is to start building things that will be here for a couple of hundred years after I've gone um, along with the site. And of course, um, the 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 thought of maybe in the future people coming over for maybe alternative stays um, because of the people being encouraged to be outdoor a bit more uh, be ideal by the sound of it yeah i mean there is scope further down the line as i say there's um the the next phase is sort of it's still just in my head at the moment <laughs> i'm still i'm still messing around with 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 ideas um but I know that uh, the Scandinavian Viking villages, they have accommodation, so they have little Viking um, little Viking houses dotted around, and the volunteers can get to stay there for a certain amount of time, and they become a Viking for that time, and they become part of the, the ambient sort of thing of the, the, uh, of the set-up, um, and they get involved in the building of things. And it, so like the likes of university students, they'll take time and go and spend uh, six months working as a volunteer on one of these Scandinavian Viking villages um, and help build one of the boat houses and that's part of their their paper that they do for for the university etc so there's there's a lot of scope for this expanding in the future as I say I don't want to run before I walk so 
Um, the first thing is let's get the longhouse built, let's get the blacksmith's forge built, the kitchen built, um, and the, the farm in the backfield and the, the Viking temple. Let's get all of that running and uh, and see how everybody gets on with it. And if there's scope for expansion, then that's what we'll do. Well, you're obviously passionate about it. You've given up a lot to to purchase the, the six acres of land up here and uh, you, you seem determined to get on with it. Yeah, I mean, the land, the land came to me by chance, um, if I'm completely truthful. Uh, it was via a friend of a friend um, that I'd met the guy years before. And um, when he decided he was going to sell up before he put it on the market, um, back through that friend of a friend, he invited me to come down and have a look with the view to buy it. Um, as soon as I came down and we, we walked around the land, I knew that that was the place to do it. Um, it was always in my mind from the moment I, I set foot, foot on the property the first time that it would be perfect for this project. Um, I live there, obviously, um, so there'll be a small part of it that will be mine and only mine, but the um, majority of the six acres will be opened up to the public, um, about 90% of it, in fact. Well, we'll watch this space, and no doubt we'll be talking to you in a few months' time to, to see how the progress is going, Chris. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I look forward to it, and uh, hopefully exciting times ahead. One thing I would, would um, very quickly add is that this is fundamentally a non-profit organisation. This is going to be um, run for the community and for the Isle of Man, um, and it will be sort of left in that state for the community in future. So just in case anybody has any quibbles about my motives behind it. I don't care about money. <laughs> Chris Hall, the man behind uh, the Viking project that's uh, put in for planning at Sandygate up the north of the Isle of Man. It's marvellous that uh, somebody wants to do something like that. To, and, you know, the history of the Isle of Man is all about the Vikings, a lot of it. Oh, it really is. Uh, I can remember at primary school many years ago, we, we studied the Vikings. You know, it was part of our history. It's something we had to learn. And it was fascinating you know, where we came from and, and the journeys that they did through the, through the seas. And I think it's so important that we keep that history and the heritage alive. I think it's a great idea myself, personally. Yeah. And um, now, recently, with the History Channel's Viking programmes that was very, very popular, it's brought it to the forefront, the, uh, the courage and bravery they had to travel them seas to to make new lives. Indeed. Brilliant stuff and uh, great to see that uh, the majority of the community of Jerby are, are right behind this as well. So uh, it's good to see. But um, you mentioned flowers at the start of the programme, Kiri. Uh, I thought they'd all be gone with these darker nights and the colder weather. That's right, but uh, absolutely not. The 64th annual chrysanthemum I'm sure was held at the weekend there in Castletown and the display of blooms on show was just magnificent. And I caught up with Dewingill to ask how it was going. Well, Dewingill, a fantastic day you've had here at the Chrysanthemum Show. Well, plenty of gold and silver medals here. Yeah, well, a bit lucky. A bit um, lucky. Bit lucky. <laughs> but I've had a reasonable year and uh, just glad to get some on the bench, some, you know, and, and other people as well. So. Well, I believe you were missing last year. Yeah, unfortunately, I got um, black fly and they riddled every every bloom. So I couldn't show them. Yeah, I bet you're devastated. Yeah. Well, I was. I mean, they, I wouldn't say they were top-notch blooms, but, <laughs> but it's still, still disappointing when you've spent it. six months, eight months, yeah. preparing for the show, and then you couldn't show anything. And you say six or eight months, really, that long? Yeah, you're starting, really, February time, all the way through the summer, moving them on from pot to pot, till eventually, sort of the end of, or 
middle of October to the end of October, getting them in the greenhouse so the weather doesn't do any damage to the petals. Wow, I yeah, keeping never... them keeping them dry and and, and, they, and aired. They must be very sensitive then. S some more than others, yeah, but the yeah. ones, the reflex ones, are very hard to grow. Yeah, and um, how much time and effort would you have to put into them on a daily basis, weekly basis? Well, through the through it, I spend the weekend on them, obviously. Yes, but through the, through the day, got to make sure they're watered in the morning. Yeah, and just give them a check at night, depending, of course, on the weather. Good. If we have a hot spell, yeah. just make sure they're well watered. Later on, early on, not concerned. Let them get root. Yeah. They need to. You know, you've got to search for the water, get them well rooted. Once they're well established, don't let them dry out. Well, I never. And yeah. the beautiful colours here, June, yeah. right down this table, isn't there? Yeah. What's your favourite one? Uh, if I, do you know what? If I was picking a favourite vase from this show, it wouldn't be one of mine, actually. <laughs> it would be that vase of singles. And that's, Michael's. that's Michael Pemberton. Yeah, and it's because the reason I like it is because, A, it's so well balanced and it shows the lovely yellow centres. They are a stunning yeah, vase, and, aren't they? And, and I love that vase. And it didn't even get the best vase, so it just shows I shouldn't be a judge. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like you say, it's good competition, though, because yeah. obviously Michael's always up there, and Andy, can you? Oh, yeah, Michael and Andy, fabulous growers. You know, I mean, Michael is top-notch, yeah. no doubt about it. Um, for him, it's a poor season for him, but he's still got fabulous stuff in. Absolutely. You know, so you can imagine the standard he has. And Andy, again, I think he's only got a polytunnel. He hasn't got a greenhouse even. Goodness, wow. So and you know where he lives. And this is it, and the changes that would happen there all the time. And obviously, like you say, they're quite sensitive, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, well, I don't know how he gets them down his track. <laughs> have you ever been up Morning Moor Lane? <laughs> but yeah, it's just great to have a show on again, yeah, it isn't is. it? Yeah, fabulous. And I'm glad. Oh, we were worried before there wouldn't be enough people. And just like to now, because we're on the radio, obviously the, the passing of our president, Noel, Kringle OBE, we've today got Murray, his son, here to do the auction for us. Ah, it's a very special uh, day. Yeah, and his brother's here as well, over from Germany. M uh, Mark, I don't know whether you know this him. This is it, having international visitors yeah, yeah, to the Chrysanthemum uh, show. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and of course, the veg as well, uh, great. And there's a, a, a young girl, Jean Quay. Yep. She's done a nice clean-up job there. They um, look lovely, do they? Size them carrots, sir. Yeah, taken over from... Um, John Corkish. Well, John used to dominate that table. Um, poor John is not so good these days. Still about, so. Uh, yeah, but there's plenty of people here supporting, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, it's great. It's really great. Is. And of course, don't forget the ladies, the confectionery, all them cakes, them jams. I wouldn't like to be the judge of that section. No, I wouldn't. No, oh, uh, but I have got my eye on one of them ginger cakes when oh. the auction comes. <laughs> Well, Sheila Gorn, you're no stranger to these competitions, and today another raft of prizes going home there to Pool Vash. Yeah, quite amazed, really. Um, it's just sad that there's not as many vegetables in this year, but it has been a difficult growing season. And, uh, you know, some of the uh, original allotment holders have moved on, so... But yeah, hopefully we can get some more competition next year. Well, this is it, and you've obviously got entries in the sprouts, the uh, potatoes, well, never ending, a first prize here in the marrow class. How do you do it all? Um, well, you just put the seeds in, hopefully, fingers crossed and grow, but you just hope for the best half the time with the weather. But yeah, it, it's fun, it's a bit of enjoyment and these sort of things, you know, just add a little bit of fun to everything. Well, this is it. And apart from the flower section, I think you've had entries in uh, quite a lot of the classes here today. But uh, the, the home bakes and the jams always popular. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves those. I mean, 
with all the cookery programs as well on the telly, it sort of really heightened it all. During lockdown, there were so many people following them and drying the baking again. So, yeah, come on, everybody, put an entry in. This is it. And like you say, some of those cake classes, they are quite big classes, aren't they, now? They are. They've really improved over the last few years. So, yeah, it, it, it's a bit of fun, a bit of expert, yeah. Have a comment for an entry or two in. Well, this is it. I was talking to Drew and Gil there about the chrysanthemums themselves. Now, you think you're impressed one year, but the next year you're impressed even more again. Just year on year, they deliver such a show. There are so many varieties now. It's unbelievable. Uh, I love the chrysanthemums, um, but yeah, they are really tricky to grow um, so I, believe. I, don't, I don't have the time to <laughs> contemplate growing those unless they're in the garden and fending for themselves but yeah there's so many different colors um, shapes sizes and they, they are gorgeous it, re- it really is quite hard to describe but you don't see many of them in your shop windows like your regular bouquets you have out of Marxies or wherever you go you don't often see these types do you like the, the pom-poms must be three or four inches in diameter Oh, yeah, easily. But, yeah, they are late-season varieties, September, October, November. Um, I think this is probably, you know, people associate flowers with the summer. But, no, these go through into early December. They are just that little ray of sunshine in a miserable winter's evening. Like, the the last few days of all heavy rain and stuff, to see these just really does brighten the day. It does. Adds a bit of colour up to a dull day. It really does. Well, anyway, we've got a good sale of produce later and uh, all for a good cause. All for a good cause and hope long may it continue. Well, Nana Shimon, congratulations, prizes galore as usual. I do hear you're the one to beat, though. <laughs> we need more entries. Yeah, and that's the top and bottom of it. What's your favourite class? Oh, the baking, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite? What do you like baking the best? Um, ginger cake... Lemon cake, fruit cake. Oh, wow. I don't go in for things which need decorating after (laughs) they come out of the oven. This is the thing. Decorations aren't worth it. When you smell them ginger cakes coming out of the oven, it's you've got to have a slice, a warm slice. Do you agree? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like Sheila Gorman was saying there earlier, these TV programmes, Mary Berry and all of them, do you think they've helped people get back into the kitchens and get baking again? Probably. um, For younger people yeah. see I'm I'm of the older generation and my mother was a great cook oh. better than I am that's fantastic and did she pass down the skills to you or did you just think I got the recipes ah. <laughs> are they top secret not particularly <laughs> no, no, no no so would you bake on a regular basis at home yeah. just just because it's something nice to do yes yeah yeah, yeah. and I, it's nice to have a cake in yeah, yeah. You know, then don't, you know, for having a dinner, you don't have to think about pudding. We'll have a piece of cake. Absolutely. And like you said, a variety of cakes is, the ability yeah. to cook a variety of cakes yeah. is something, isn't it? Yeah. What do you make as chocolate cake? Um, I don't generally make chocolate cake, but I have an old family recipe, which we always do for birthdays. Yeah, yeah, that's the It wouldn't win a prize cake. amongst these wonderful cakes right okay but it's, but it's sort of traditional traditional and that's what people love isn't it yeah. so do you do christmas puddings and all that, that you... don't bother with christmas pudding but i will do a christmas cake i haven't done it yet and i don't do the usual fruit mix okay i will put 
um, dried cranberries, dried apricots, maybe sultanas in it. So it's totally different. That is. And what kind of taste would that develop? Just similar fruitcake, really. Would it be quite sweet? Yes. Yeah. 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 Sweeter. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes people like to add lots of different alcohols and make them extremely heavy. And it, it will get a, a tot of oh. alcohol or two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We've just about three or four years ago. I have cousins in America and cousins in Australia. And we've sort of got a little Christmas cake challenge going oh, between oh. us. <laughs> and we, they'll choose a, a theme, you know, it might be snowmen or, you know, whatever. So we all make our cake and we all decorate it and we all post a picture uh, on uh, Facebook or something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. And do you win? No. Oh, there's, there's no prize <laughs> because, you yeah, know, we're around the world, lovely, but it? it's just to see other people's efforts. Well, this is it. And Facebook or social media sometimes gets such a bad name, but for the likes of that, bringing families yeah. together at Christmas, it is so special. Yes. It, it really is. It is an easy way to keep in touch. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I was having to write a letter and send a photo... It wouldn't have that same uh, same feeling as being able to visually see see the yeah. cakes. Yeah. But today, this room is just so lovely, isn't it, Lina? Yes. You know, with the flowers, bright colours, so much effort goes into it. Yes, the people who have produced the flowers and what have you have done a great deal. They really have. Uh, I just wish there was more. Well, there seems to be a good show of flowers this year. Yeah, absolutely. But I just wish more people would compete, mm. you know. Yeah. It's easy to make a cake at home. This is it. It's having that confidence to come out and compete and against you, though, a born you winner. Just, <laughs> you just look at it and say, oh, that's quite good. I'll put it in the show. Or you look at it and you think, I'll eat it. Yeah, that's the thing. It wouldn't get past my door. <laughs> anyway, congratulations, okay, Nina. Well, Jean Quay, uh, no stranger of a few prizes. Congratulations and well done in the sections. Thank you. And how much effort goes into you growing vegetables? It can't be easy out there. So much effort. It's, it's mad. Like My parents work all day and yeah. stuff. It's a lot of time and effort and and, Money, I guess. and do you help your mum and dad do it? Is that how you got involved with this? Because obviously this yeah. is competition, which is a bit different to what you do at home yeah. as a business, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. I basically help whenever I'm not working. <laughs> Just like drafted in. Absolutely. And what will you grow? You, you know, you grow for shops as well as um, uh, yeah. for these competitions. Yeah, um, we don't do many competitions just because, like, we do have the just like the farm as well as a business. But, yeah. Um, we have a few like farm shops we like help out and when they're short we might help supply them or uh, just a few convenience stores, main, mainly just the old customers throughout the time. And really. I bet through the pandemic you've seen quite a few people shifting yeah. back to local and, yeah. and I bet some people have stayed too. Yeah, yeah. It really, last year when it hit it was just absolutely mad how many people you had to supply and keep going but that said doesn't it really make you focus on how important local food is yeah completely doesn't it yeah. makes the economy run really doesn't it yeah, absolutely oh, look out. the potatoes are done a runner <laughs> but what does it mean to you to be taking home some of these oh well they're just beautiful shields yeah. and trophies it's so honorable really that was Dewan Gill 
followed there by Sheila Gorn, Nina Shimon, who was the winner of the preserves section. And uh, what a great afternoon it was, uh, Simon and Murray Kringle coming in at the end to sell off all of the jams and cakes and those beautiful, beautiful flowers. Yeah, I've been to that before and it really is a lovely atmosphere when you get in. And the smell as well when oh, you go in, isn't it? magnificent. Yeah. And catching up also with uh, Jean Quay there, the young youngest person in the room with the vegetables and we were just chatting about the smell of a freshly pulled carrot and that soil coming off it there's mm. nothing nicer no you're listening to countryside here on manx radio with kiri kermode and myself simon clark well with the darker nights coming in i thought i'd pop along and get a chat with jen adams who is the outreach and education manager for the manx Wayland dolphin watch firstly i'll put it to her with the dark nights and the winter ahead of us uh, all the whales and dolphins be sleeping no absolutely <laughs> not it's um, a common misconception actually simon lots of people think that they've they've gone to sleep or they've left manx waters for for somewhere warmer um but actually the winter is when we get our um, winter visiting bottlenose dolphin pods. Um, so these are sort of larger groups of bottlenose dolphins that have come from different parts of the Irish Sea um, and meet up in Manx waters to feed. Are there lots of places on the, on the coasts of Ireland and Northern Ireland and the UK where, where the dolphins are, are anyway? Yes, lots of different areas. So, um, for example, lots of our, our winter bottlenose dolphins we know spend the summer over in Cardigan Bay in Wales, um, and we know this through photo identification, so photographs of the dorsal fin. Um, and they're also coming over probably from places like the Hebrides and in Eastern Ireland as well. They come to the Manx waters. Is it like a like the bird migration thing? Is it a transition if they're coming from? the UK to Ireland and things like that? Or is there just something around the, the Manx coastal waters that attracts them? We think it's just um, a case of feeding. So they're just sort of coming to the Isle of Man in the winter months to feed on possibly juvenile herring and things like this. And how does that go down with, with the fishermen? They, they won't be eating large amounts or taking the whole stock away, will they? Oh, not at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's what they need to eat. So the um, bottlenose dolphins are actually highly opportunistic. So they'll take whatever they can get their beaks on, as it were. Um, so they'll take herring, um, mackerel, um, other small shoaling fish, and eels, even crabs, bizarrely. Really? They will eat crabs, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible, you isn't it? think it. But the, the, they have been over the last, I suppose, the last 15, 20 years on the Isle of Man. It's something that's really been brought to the attention of the public of the Isle of Man uh, about the importance of sightings of them and uh, keeping an eye on, on what they're up to and where they're going. Yes, so um, so Manxwell and Dolphin Watch has been going for 15 years now, mm-hmm. um, but prior to us there wasn't anyone actually collecting evidence of, of whales, dolphins and porpoises. So there is very little in the way of historical proof that these animals were actually here. The dolphins that you mentioned and the porpoises, um, the whale side of it, do people get this conception or preconception that are we expecting big killer whales and things in the waters of the Isle of Man? But what sort of category or, or types of them we'll, we'll see around the coasts? So the most likely whale species that you'll see here is the minke whale. Um, they're fairly common here, actually, throughout the summer and the autumn. Um, and actually, the autumn is one of the best times of year to see the minke whales because um, they, again, are, f- are feeding on herring, um, and they 
come round to the east of the island where the herring are spawning between September and November um, and they just get involved in this feeding. So you can see sort of minke whales in, in sort of numbers between one and five off uh, Marine Drive, for example. But they'll stay in one area and just sort of maybe the area the size of like a football pitch and they'll slowly cruise up and cruise down and just sort of stay there all day hoovering up their food. Really? So they don't, don't venture from one end of the island to the other usually? Not really, no. Yeah. They tend to stay in quite a small location um, and often really, really close inshore. Like some of these whales are just about three or four hundred metres off Marine Drive, off the rocks there. Why the East Coast? What's wrong with the poor old West Coast? Well, actually, it's funny you say that because... Um, East Coast typically at this time of year, as I say, because that's where the herring are spawning in the autumn. Um, but however, this year there has been at least one minke whale that's been seen off the back of Peel Castle for the last week and a half. Um, so the last sighting was three days ago. Um, wow. So that was like Tuesday, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday this week. Um, and he was only about 200 metres off the castle. So um just feeding. We know he was feeding because there were lots of gannets diving um, in the same area as the whale. And gannets have exceptional eyesight. So they fly around looking for whales and dolphins, assume that these mammals are feeding and pushing fish up to the surface. So they dive down for easy pickings. Jen Adams, the Education and Outreach Manager for the Manx Whale and Dolphin Watch. And the, certainly not sleeping and lots of activity going on in the seas. And great to hear that... Uh, Different ones have been sighted in different areas. It's always nice to hear, isn't it? It really is magnificent around the coast of the Isle of Man, especially this summer we've just had the spots that everybody's seeing them. And then the gift we have with social media is bringing it closer to the people that may have missed that viewing and sighting. And it just really shows how alive the seas are around the island. It is brilliant. If you've missed any part of the programme or want to listen to the interviews in full, you can go down to Manx Radio's website, powered by Millie Chaps of Ramsey, and download the podcast or just go to the listen again and you'll hear the interviews in full. We're back next Tuesday with Countryside. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kerry Kermode. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.